0: hello this is the in our bodies podcast everyone we're coming back to you with part two of episode seven conversation with chanika svet vilas we ended off part one with chanika talking about intersectional identities and spaces here's a little bit of a recap well
1: i think in the united states um there is this tendency, although I do feel there's a shift now, but to to silo identity, um, especially race, um, like for instance for Asian American spaces, disability access is not always included. I have to take it upon myself to um, educate or to um, question those spaces. I'd like to feel that I'm not the only one in that space that's trying to make that effort, um, that it is already um, uh, part of the default.
0: Okay, with that little recap, let's jump into part two.
1: Yeah, I mean, even um, when doing projects, um, I I can't remember if I might have expressed to you about... um, an oral history project that was uh, about the Asian American community and what they experienced during COVID. Okay. And when I um, participated, I, I asked, um, have they considered interviewing others who had a disability? And I was told, well, there is a disability studies department and center as if that could be separated and there wait, be wait, one. wait! What does that mean? <laughs> well, I think that the the um, assumption was that
0: there's like a different I mean, center for yeah, disabilities. Yeah. So, and, and so therefore, yeah, like okay. aren't there Asian Americans that have disabilities
1: too? But also, I I asked, you know, well, have you considered how to make these interviews for oral histories accessible? Like, what if there is someone. Who is deaf and needs an ASL interpreter? Like yeah. making contingencies for that. Um, yeah. So, um, I yeah, I think it's just important that we understand that you you can't dissect aspects of ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Do you find that? Does, does that make it hard to? navigate certain kind of like Asian American spaces or like kind of maybe even Asian American academic spaces because I I personally find that like currently living here in Berlin sometimes I'll look at like queer spaces and stuff but like it is always that the aspect of disability or just consideration for disabled bodies just not there and And I feel like I also spoke about this uh, with Keiko on a previous episode, a previous guest, just mentioning how, like, sometimes when you're so, like, multiply marginalized, it feels so hard not to, like, continuously be advocating because there's so many spaces that you're stepping into that you're feeling that is just really not seeing you or is just really not considering, like, a whole, like, like not like the fact that th- there's no consideration for accessibility or interviewing those who are Asian and disabled like that's not even like a niche like I don't even think that that would be like a niche crossover of identities like that's like, I find it so infuriating or kind of like, isolating sometimes even when like you're trying to go into certain spaces to find community when you hold these identities, it sometimes still feels so isolating because, like, even in these spaces that talk about advocacy, talk about whether it's like, you know, POC, queer, whatever, like, mm-hmm. there's just still kind of a blind spot or a spot where they don't, at least in my experience, sometimes don't feel willing to uh, learn and grow in kind of uh, how they could be reaching or be like more accessible to more people? Yeah, I don't know, is that kind of, does that make it hard for you to kind of like be in spaces sometimes?
1: Well, I also have an invisible disability, right? So yeah. um, so it's like hyper invisibility. Yeah, same, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yeah.
1: So it's it's frustrating, um, but I, I, I will say that, you know, once I bring up um, the aspect of accessibility, Changes are made, and uh, accessibility is provided. Um, I just um, wish it was something wasn't something new (laughs) or novel, (laughs) or something that you
0: are continuously introducing in every space you're going into. Yes,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I and I um, I hope that because there
1: is um, finally, I think because of COVID and. and and, uh, because of more visibility of people with disabilities or Mm -hmm. the visibility of the deaf community, Mm -hmm. um, that I I think there is finally some recognition of um, making spaces more accessible, Mm -hmm. but it's amazing, you know, 2022, (laughs) and it's, that it's just something so new. Um, And, that only now because suddenly the global population is looking at long COVID and what that experience might be. And they weren't
0: even, they were, they were denying it for so long yes. as well. And this is just something yeah. that in 2022, I think we're just start, like for the the main, I'm using quotations for the mainstream, mm-hmm. they're only just starting to talk about, but the mm-hmm. disabled community has been talking about this for Way longer than mm-hmm. just the beginning of this year or whatever, yes. you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: wanting spaces to be more accessible, and only now, um, because of the pandemic, um, institutions are making spaces accessible. Yeah. Uh, when it's been asked for for, for decades so and decades. Yeah. yeah.
0: Indeed. Yeah. It's not it's not easy at all. Um what was your journey like becoming a cultural worker? And specifically I don't know, it says sounds like maybe you have a just like something within you that is like down for advocating for yourself. Because you're even talking about after your last hospitalization and becoming dismissed from grad school, like you had it within you to be fighting that like for yourself right mm-hmm. and clearly a lot of this advocacy has started with with you um so yeah specifically how have you found yourself um towards like interdisciplinary art cultural work and how do you do it in a way that is centering yourself mm-hmm. Well, I think I first started with my
1: exposure to the Asian American community. I went to an ICASU conference, East Coast Asian Student Union conference at SUNY Binghamton, and I met Yuri Kochiyama. Okay, and um, she introduced me to other Thai Americans, um, and that was my connection when I arrived to New York. Okay, and how long
0: ago was that? Like, how old are you then?
1: that was in the 90s (laughs) which is also when um godzilla was founded okay so um i joined um godzilla now i'm really dating myself i joined godzilla in uh the mid 90s um and godzilla is um the asian american art network um, Mm. that was founded in 91, I believe, um, in New York City, and it went defunct in 2001, um, but its, it's mission it w- was that it was a collective and it brought together Asian-Americans in the art community um, to advocate for um, Asian-American representation um, in galleries and museums cool. and, and to support each other, sort of like slide um, jams, um, or slams, rather, I should say, um, back when we used slide projectors. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and um, parties, of course, um, yes. ways to get together and artist talks. Um, and um, so, I, and I, so I was involved in um, that work and met other Asian American artists and I also worked for the Asian American Arts Alliance um, oh. And its beginning stages um, and um, just always stayed involved with the Asian American community and one of my art projects was called Suitcases on Tour and I collaborated mm-hmm. with the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund where I created this mobile immigration booth Um, that was mounted on a walker (laughs) and I was looking at you know the the relativity of borders and what that meant Mm. by this immigration booth it said visas to enter Queens for the Queens edition and visas to enter Brooklyn for the Brooklyn edition and it would just move around Um, but we we Meaning uh, volunteers and I, we distributed know your rights cards Mm. um, in different languages um, and also postcards that uh, provided true and false questions about um, immigrants to distribute to people as talking points. Mm. And we also had these plexiglass colored suitcases, silhouette of suitcases, call attention to the immigration booth. And um, at that time, it was after 9 11, too. Right. Okay. And so, ALDEF um, had a report on special registration because um, men ages 16 and older from predominantly Muslim um, identified countries were being asked to register. Mm. And that caused um, people to lose their jobs and livelihood or to be deported or to be detained. Um, So um, I was helping them distribute the the report on that Mm. um, uh, special registration. Um, so um, So there was that intersection between art and advocacy yeah. Um, and ALDAF also used my booth as a way to survey English language wear- learners as well, in terms okay. of seeing where the need was in New York. So we also had brought the booth to Brooklyn and focused on um, also safer schools because Asian Americans were getting bullied in school. And yeah. so we were also surveying that as well. Yeah. Um, and um, so when I started. Um, focusing my artwork around uh, my lived experience of mental health, I was also looking at ways to advocate. So I also created other actions um, that could allow for public participation. Mm. So um, uh, one of the projects I did um, was I invited people to write what stigma and what support meant to them on a, mm. on, a on a wall. Mm. Um, and so people could visually see what other people's experiences were with stigma, yeah. but also to recognize that stigma and support is not exclusively related to mental health, but that yeah. everyone has experienced both. Yes. Um, and I also did another project where um, I invited people to write a prescription of support in terms mm. of what would, what does support mean to them? What does that look like? And how would you provide that support to someone else? Um, mm. So it was a place of um, reflection. And then they would roll up their prescription of support into a prescription bottle. Mm. And they could take one that someone else wrote. And then on the bottle was a website where people could access the suicide hotline and resources, and there was also, there a QR, also
0: yeah,
1: and there was also a QR code where they could listen to an interview of yeah. someone who was self-identified with mental health difference yeah. and someone who was part of
0: their support network. I remember um, listening to that a little bit. I'm just yeah, thank you for sharing all those things. I'm very inspired by I don't know, just kind of clearly just doing actions things that are participatory like I think sometimes art gets a really bad rap or like just especially like I don't know I went to school I, you also went to school for art like there's like such a section of art that just has is so much about like evaluation and commerce that I just don't love at all like I think things that are like publicly participatory publicly participatory and just kind of like speaking to uh, I don't know communities that you're interested in or communities that you know are hurting at the time and also just kind of like as a way to be like helping to collect information to further help these people and further understand these people is just like Super amazing, I yeah.
1: Well, I also recognize that being an artist is powerful, mm. and I want to use that power to advocate. And I've always been really aware of the privilege that I have. Mm. Like, if I'm given a space to show and share my work, that mm. you know, what am I going to do with that privilege? Mm. Um, so, um, I've I've always appreciated people who create very beautiful work. <laughs> I, I always say I don't create pretty paintings, but yeah. that's my yeah. that's my choice. Yeah, um, it's it's because you know for my for me my sensibility is I want to see and embody um, what I can share that will. Um, uplift other communities Mm. which is a part of what it's part of me
0: I will say though your recent project of you uh, like Chanika said earlier that through the pandemic in in place of socializing you went into doing a lot of drawing right and uh, one of the projects that you've done is actually what I've learned right that's the Mm -hmm. name of the project Mm -hmm. and I personally would say a lot of those are very beautiful and I am a very big fan. So, you know, say all you want and I'm not make any <laughs> pictures. But yeah, I also um, kind of like meanings for them aside. I I also just found those very visually stunning, by the way.
1: Just <laughs> <Thank saying>. you. <laughs>
0: um,
1: yeah, I think um, yeah. with the pandemic, it sort of unveiled me. Like I didn't hold mm. back. Like I suddenly, um, I think because. I think one, one of the, the aspects of the pandemic is people were, if they weren't already mm. um, very aware of their mortality. Um, mm,
0: yes. 100%. And,
1: and so therefore um, I no longer wanted to um, hold back. Yeah. And I, I think um, before the pandemic, even with my level of um, advocacy and awareness, I was still trying to shield myself. Um, mm. I didn't really um, publicly say um, that I had bipolar disorder, although it was already oh. inherent in the work. Yeah, um, I didn't um, talk about the fact that I had a suicide attempt, and okay. Um, that attempt um, was what underlined uh, my uh, um, was underneath my chosen medium, which is mm. charcoal because mm. when I um, was in the hospital, I had my stomach pumped with activated charcoal and that's why I, I chose that material because it is uh, a part of what I experienced. Um, And I I felt that I didn't want to hold back any longer because I didn't want um, to feel shame about these experiences. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want others to feel shame about these experiences. There's still so much stigma, especially around suicide. Um, uh, So, yeah, I just um, wanted to feel that I could let go and... um, be vocal about my experiences, um, and not um,
0: hide them. Um, Well, I really see your perspective in them. Again, guys, the title is called What I've Learned, and I think my favorite ones from them is Chanika draws these, like, neurons, it looks like brain neurons, and then you collage... Like people over them, and sometimes it looks like they're like doing construction work on them and stuff like that. And obviously, I did a bit of research before looking through kind of like your catalog of work. So obviously, it kind of preempted me to maybe see those connections. But to me, it is very clear of like some of the themes that you're kind of thinking about. And I'm so happy that it is you. You got the experience to feel like you did like just didn't want to give a fuck anymore and yes, wanted exactly. to wanted to just be present and you know visually present how you're feeling on the inside in a way that is quite clear and not too ambiguous to kind of what you're feeling not being coy about it i guess maybe mm-hmm. yeah Um, I think that ties into kind of your other topics for your work, which is like medical side effects and medical inaccessibility. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about like why those aspects are also kind of like something that interests you and kind of inform your sculptural work and like your other work as well?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well. At one point I accidentally took the wrong medication because I take more than one. <laughs> because the, medication- it happens? the bottles were identical yeah, and, true, the-, true, and true. the shape and color were so yeah, similar. It's true. And so it made me think about these bottles mm. that are plastic and usually always amber colored and yes. with a white top. Yeah. Um, and I realized that that there was some disconnect because of the cost also, right? Mm. Like medication is very often costly, that yet they come in these plastic bottles, like at the rate they are, they should be like bejeweled, yes.
0: <laughs> glass <True. and laughs> gilded. So um that's actually a really good point. Yeah. and how much some of this costs it should be like designer <laughs> case perfume yes. like bottle Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. And also, they don't um, convey the variety of medications that people take, um, mm-hmm. and and also the side effects that people have to endure. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, it took me a long time to find the right mix. because also my over the years, my body has changed. So what medication mm-hmm. worked for me before I didn't. Um, you've also just later.
0: changed, right? Like kind yes. of like who you are and who you've decided yes. you want to be continues to change too. Right? Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, so, um, medication has evolved. It's, it's not, um, it's not like you take the same medication your whole life because your body chemistry changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, when I was trying different ones, uh, I all sorts of things happened to my body. My white blood cell count dropped. There was a time when I couldn't walk or and, difficulty speaking. Um, at one point, um, well, this was when I was in the grad program. Mm. My peers stayed with me. And they took shifts to make sure I could still breathe. Oh, it was man. that bad. Yeah. Um, so um I decided that I wanted to work with prescription bottles to convey these different experiences. And mm. so I took a heat gun to the prescription bottles and melted them so that they would be distorted and contorted. And then I started embellishing them with some bling, you know, yeah. from gold chains to um, craft beads and um, wanting to make them glitter. And, um, and also just to um, create this irony um, with the medical industrial complex of the, um, know big pharma and and how medications not always accessible um and uh one of the sculptural pieces I created was called pharma go round and it Mm. had a chandelier of medication (laughs) uh, prescription bottles um that uh were dripping with gold chains and then it was tiered like uh uh, Buddhist jetty or, or, or um, stupa, mm-hmm. um, prescription bottles that rotated. It was like this um, ever-ending um, circle of prescription um, uh, consuming, but yeah. also the fact that the cost never ends. Yeah. <laughs> and this really weird relationship between receiving the medication and wanting to receive care, but also, you know, sometimes the prescriptions for any, any condition not just mental health can be debilitating Mm -hmm. and disabling. Um, Mm -hmm. So this weird relationship that you can have um, with um, medication um, and access. Um, And my newest project, which um, I'm, still researching and exploring how to also make it an accessible project for participants is Mm. I want to, um, uh, with consent, um, interview people who self-identify as having a mental health difference um, about um, any health disparities that they've experienced in terms of access to care and mapping that data onto a prescription bottle and creating mm. a 3D model of their experience of so visualizing the data. Mm. Um, and the idea is by doing a 3D print, I can give um, one of the prints to the participant. Cool. Um, so I think very often we hear all this data, um, like the fact that um, bleeding cause of death in, uh, youth for ages 16 to 24 for Asian Americans is suicide and no for, way. Yeah. And for women ages 64 and older who are Asian American leading cause of death is suicide. I agree. So I agree. you can hear statistics like that, but then like, how would you visualize that? Mm. How can you make, um, information more than just a statistic? Mm. How, how can that be meaningful? Mm-hmm. And so um, that's why I'm interested in doing this project is mm. trying to humanize this information mm-hmm. and um, how do disparities have an impact on care and receiving
0: care? Um, yeah. So um, that's really cool. I'm yeah. excited to... I've been, I'm not for a very long time, but I've been, I've been following your work for a little bit and for definitely for the, the ones you were describing. Is it, is it, it's the project called Side Effects? The one so where I, it's the heat guns?
1: Yes, I've um, done, um, I've created s- sculptures with just the individual bottles and sometimes mm-hmm. melting them together and, yeah. and um, it's called side effects because one of the first sculptures I created was um, was melting my own prescription bottles together, yeah. and and now I've had several
0: people give them um, give them to me. Advice. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love them because I because it's yes you um, you bling them, but also some of them are quite monstrous. Like there's teeth stuck into them, and I think that I I told you this like. When kind of we had our pre-interview a while ago, there's something that shows a lot of humor in the irony or the, this is my personal word, I'm not putting words in here, but the kind of like the monstrosity of it all. um yeah and uh yeah i really i definitely really enjoyed it i really enjoyed the messaging behind it and clearly i don't know I, i'm also just really enjoying speaking to you because i'm I'm personally just like taking notes it's like okay hard how to, how to become a cultural worker what are the motivations <laughs> so as i say for most of the interviews that i do it's just a very selfish endeavor of me just trying to like learn as much as i can <laughs> Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for seeing the humor in my work because yes, it is a, a, important to me that there be that edge to it because I, I, I think, um, I mean, I think also in disability culture, there's, there's great humor and oh, yeah. um, you have to have a sense of humor. I mean, because you have to be able to adjust, right. Yeah. And adapt. And um, it's a, it's
0: also a survival mechanism too. Oh, totally. Um, d- despite I think this I think this would will be my seventh episode that I've recorded. and I don't don't think I don't think that there is a single episode where there haven't been like lots of laughs and like a lot of silliness, regardless of what we're talking about. Like we've definitely had people who have been you know sometimes describing some unpleasant times in their lives or some pretty deep uncertainties as to how their health and their life is gonna turn out but you know there's also just kind of a lot of I, I think it's it would be just simply too hard without like a little bit of levity and a little bit of like humor in in, in the absurdity that is yeah. our experience on this floating rotating rock of a place <laughs> yeah Um, I think actually those are all of the questions that I had, but I was wondering if there was anything else that you wanted to talk about, or you wanted to talk about with me. Um, well, I I would be
1: interested in hearing, um, what, um, resonated for you in my work, how, um
0: how you were um, led to my work or um, mm. yeah. I don't remember. I think that like Instagram is a blessing and a curse in some ways, but through that account, I did start following like just people that I thought were interesting and people that were advocates and like cultural practitioners. But I, I don't know. I, there was something, I think a part, part of it, part of it, I did, you were. You also mentioned a while ago that you were doing silly, not, I use air quotes, silly dances like <laughs> on Instagram. And to describe, um, Trinica has a, kind of like an infinity loop created out of pill bottles. That's what it is, right? And yeah. you were just kind of like dancing with it. And I thought that it was very great for you to just be interacting with your you know with your work in a way that you thought was like weird and silly and serving for you at that time you're just kind of like and because art can be so serious especially when you like create a sculpture and like you are like a artist that like yeah also so many quotations like a serious you're also a serious (laughs) artist you know and like for you to just to like be ruminating on your work and just thinking about it or just playing with it right like I really enjoyed it I was like fuck yeah that's really cool um yeah I don't know I just I think that's and as I said before like for your works of like side effect it's just just really taking the time to kind of look at look at it and kind of look at the background of what also even just talking to you the the motivations of your work like yeah I, I like work that kind of makes me take kind of like a deep breath and feel kind of okay about sometimes the absurdity that is what's happening to us right and I, I get that a little bit from some of the sculptures that you're doing and yeah your your most recent drawing is like what I've learned I also I visual I just visually also just really enjoy them they they're they're obviously very powerful and very blatant in their message as they were intended to be um but I just aesthetically also I, I I really enjoy them I like that you um use like You're very kind of like, it feels like you're kind of very on the fly about your medium and kind of it feels in that way immediate of the message that you want out in the world. Like Chanika has also done um, pieces where it's kind of like you use a paper that is all like the medical, like those long papers of like medical side effects that uh, come with the prescription that is obviously could not fit on the bottle And, like, it's just plastered on the wall, and then you, like, have big messages and writings and ruminations about side effects about it, right? And it's kind of, like, it doesn't necessarily feel too precious or, again, like, maybe too quote-unquote pretty, but, like, I don't know. It kind of does the job, right? Like, there's, like, layers in which you can be um, interacting with it. If you want to, like, look really up close and just really are curious about, like, what the laundry list of medical side effects can be for, I don't know, something like an antipsychotic or, you know, any kind of medicine. Specifically, we're talking about like Western medicine and like pills and stuff. But also, like, you know, there's like, you know, big messages as well. Yeah, that's a, uh, those are my feelings about your work. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that,
1: because that is such a gift, because, you know, when you're an artist and you put things out in the world, you don't know how it's being received. So it's always wonderful to hear out someone might be receiving the work. Yeah. And on that note, I will share my Instagram handle, which is my first and last name. It's C-H-A-N-I-K-A-S-B-E-T-V-I-L-A-S. Yes. So that's my Instagram handle and it's also my websitecom <laughs> yes
0: promote that work. <laughs> um, uh, side note all of all of the stuff and hopefully some maybe uh, some of the stuff you have also um, mentioned the people you've mentioned I tried to kind of go through and annotate and create when one guest feel kind of called to do this like I I try to make a list of the people and kind of like organizations that they've talked about as like places and resources i don't know if this episode is the beginning of someone's journey to find something like that that would be great i would be very happy to be be part of that so yeah wow okay after a social media plug i think that is that is the place to end it Uh, (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for this conversation um I think what I've realized is through most of my guests is that probably one conversation is really not enough. Like I just really scratched the surface. I hope to possibly have you back and maybe have a more like focused conversation on something. I think there's so much more to talk about. Clearly um, you have done so many cool projects. So yeah. Thank you so
1: much for holding this space. I'm really happy I was able to participate.
0: All right, speak to you again soon. Okay, folks, thank you so much for listening to yet another episode of In Our Bodies. So appreciating Chanika for spending the time to give us a little glimpse into her life and the body of work she's been doing in the political art space. I hope it's inspired you as it has me. Catch you at the next episode.